Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. This is a podcast from The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Times Plus Live Comedy at Wilton's. This month's Times Plus Live Comedy at Wilton's brings you four not-to-be-missed acts at the beautiful Wilton's Music Hall in East London. Appearing will be Ed Axel, Nina Conti and Andy Zaltzman, all compared by resident MC Jared Christmas. It takes place on Thursday 26th of January 2012 at 7.30pm. For tickets, call 0871 620 4025 or book online at timestickets.co.uk. Welcome to the game. I'm Gab Marcotti, and this week we bring you the definitive review of the week's football. And not just that, we also have George Calkin, Stuart Robson, and Skyling on his last week at work. It's Patrick Barkley. More of this later. Coming up, we'll be assessing Mark Hughes' first week at work, but uh, we start in the Principality. That's right, Swansea and Arsenal. Now, we had a sense going into this, uh, Stuart, that um, you know, Swansea at home, they were, they were tough. Arsenal, some issues, no Arteta. But um, did you expect such sort of five goals in this end-to-end, bad defending, um, good attacking? No, I didn't expect Swansea to pass it quite as well as they did. I expect Arsenal to defend poorly in midfield, which they which they did. And it was too easy for Swansea to play. Swansea made the pitch very big. Arsenal were, were played through with such ease in midfield. The midfield players, didn't. I don't think, worked hard enough. Ben Ayoum, who came in for Arteta, when he closed the ball down, it got played past him. He didn't recover. Ramsey, likewise. Song took 20 minutes to get it almost his first touch. So I was really disappointed with the way Arsenal defended, but really pleased with the way that Swansea attacked. You know, the midfield players, players they played around pressure and when they needed to they got the wide players into the game and they were brilliant when they were running with the ball it was a great example of how to play around pressure but also be penetrative with your players well uh paddy we, we we've we've paid mm-hmm. we've Paddy, we've, we've praised um, Brendan Rodgers before, um, for me primarily because he bears a passing resemblance to our boss uh, Tony Evans mm-hmm. but um this is this is pretty special I mean the, 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 what they're doing they've been doing it they've been doing it all season and, and they've done it against perhaps more you know bigger more physical teams but also more technical teams who are used to having most of the possession like Arsenal now Ooh, I think uh, Swansea are a very technical team but uh, I just endorse everything Stuart says uh, they just get better and better uh, now that they're finding their feet they're developing confidence there's, um, they're, they're influenced by Barcelona they're influenced I read an in, interview on over the weekend with Rogers when he said that he was that his father had passed down a, uh, a love of the great Dutch teams Renes Mikel's you know inheritance and you can see that mm. in the way yeah you, you know Stuart talks about them playing around pressure and, and you can see that they're not frightened to pass the ball around the back to, to move take two steps back to take one forward I mean they they just 
they uh, they play in uh, I think Roger says seven lines which is so good you know, we used to have three in English football and now teams are playing in seven lines and this this can only be terrific for the game um, they I, I don't know what more can you say about them they, uh, if they can keep their players uh, at uh, at Swansea um, I think they can be uh, they can be a serious threat to the top teams because they they, they they seem to be losing their fear all the time don't they and if I was a footballer I'd, I'd want to go there and I'll tell you what they did Brendan Rodgers made a great tactical substitution at half time because they had a lot of possession but they weren't actually creating chances mm-hmm. in that first half mm-hmm. because there wasn't enough support for Danny Graham yes they had wide players but suddenly he took off Augustian and put Sigurdsson in behind the main striker yep. although they didn't enjoy the same amount of possession when they did get it they look more threatening yeah. and you have to take your hands off to Brendan Rodgers again yep. but, sorry just, just very briefly though I think I think the other thing you can say about this is that you should take your hats off to the whole club because Roberto Martinez started mm-hmm. this whole culture uh, at Swansea City so it, you, you, you couldn't just just in case Chelsea are thinking what if Boas goes wrong you know we'll get we'll get Brendan in and within 10 minutes we'll be playing like Barcelona it doesn't happen like that yeah the whole club has to be pulling in the same direction that was actually the, the thing that I was going to say that the you know the really nice thing about Swansea is that there seems to be a kind of a culture of football at the club and it's gone over successive um, managerial spells so the players that come into the club know very quickly how they're supposed to play and and get this sort of great grounding but I was also going to say that I saw, you know I saw them draw nil nil at Newcastle a few weeks ago and you know by no means was that a great game of football but you know Swansea aren't just this team that play play beautiful flowing football there is a steel about them um, they haven't been surprised by coming into the Premier League um, and they know you know they know the sort of the, the, the tricks of the trade to get valuable points uh, away from you know away from home as well sometimes so you know they're, they're, they're very much a three-dimensional team Okay, so here's what gets me. Oh, and by the way, before we end that, I just want to point out um, Swansea, I believe the only um, Premier League side where uh, the supporters trust um, sits on the board. And I think that's something, you know, even if you're a neutral, just for the fact that they do that and it seems to yeah, work there. It's another there reason to support them. another reason to, to support them. Um, but, George, what gets me about it, we, we talk about, you know, the, the way they play and then they add players who fit that. But, you know, I'm looking in, in central defense, um, you know, Ashley Williams and, and Stephen Calker. Stephen Calker's a, and I'm asking you, George, because Calker sounds a lot like Calkin. In mm. fact, it's just almost um, you may even be related. Um, this is a guy who comes from who comes from Tottenham. He's got you know. I'm not suggesting Tottenham, you know, don't teach your people to play technical football, but you know, these two guys get dropped in there. Neither one is is Beckenbauer, but they work and they fit in a more pass-oriented context. Yeah, exactly. That there is this sort of ethos that. Um, you know that they're sort of that they're buying into or asked to buy into, and that's kind of already in existence. And I just think that must that must help the club, that must help the team in some ways. I mean, um, you know, as I said before, that it's stretched back. It's not just. I mean, Brendan Rodgers has done an absolutely fantastic job, but this kind of philosophy has gone back um, has gone back kind of over a generation, if you like, of you know more than one manager. Um, so that there's something there for people to sort of to get to get sort of rooted into very very early, and I think that's what, that's kind of one of the nicest things about um, one of the things nice about uh, the club. I'm waffling a bit here. 
Kolka, by the way, a Kolka is somebody who puts tar on the inside of ships or, or barrels. Oh, wow. And whereas a Kolkin is what? Is well, it must be related. <laughs> right, okay. You never checked? No. Well, Kolkin, a Kolka, I've checked that. A so, Kolkin so. is actually a, a small Kolka. It's, it's that, that's it, what if you if you're a Kolkin who works on toy ships, can, right? You, you can grow into uh, a Kolka. Yeah, it's like an apprentice yeah. of some yeah. kind. Well, I look forward. To, I look forward to graduating. <laughs> All right, Stuart. That said, right? Mm. This is. I, I keep going back to this. We have managers talking about. I need money to get players. Players. Blah blah blah. Give me more money. Back the manager. Back the manager. Uh, and we know that we'll be hearing this soon um, because it's the giant transfer window. I look at this, and I really don't, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if I want to be unkind to the Swansea players as individuals, because they, you know, many of them look good on the ball, but, you know, we live in a world where we've had a bunch of sort of players go for eight, ten million um, last summer, Craig Gardner for six and a half million, and I look at these guys, and I ask myself, okay, which, which of the Swansea players are actually good and would go for something approaching ten million, and, you know, you could maybe make a case for, for, the, for the goalkeeper form. Um, I think Joe Allen's a fantastic mm-hmm. player. Um, Scott Sinclair, he's fast, and he's, you know, he's got the pedigree. Maybe he can go to the next level. A lot of people like Dyer. I personally think he's a bit too small. But that's kind of it. Like, these other guys... I mean, do you, is it a case, are these average players who are specialists who are made greater actually by the system and by the manager, or except for the guys I mentioned, is there anybody here who's actually very good? I think the left back looks a good player, Taylor. Taylor. I mean, he, he's good on the ball, he's a good 1v1 defender, but I'd go back to, to saying about Dyer. I watched uh, Southampton's youth team play against Aston Villa's youth team many years ago, and in that Southampton youth team was Lalana was Walcott, was Dyer. Uh, they had two centre-halves, who I can't remember now, but both have played for, I think one went to Portsmouth and has played um, in, at the top, in the top flight and, and been somewhere else. Southampton, he might, he might have played as well. And Aston Villa had Agbon Lahore, they had Luke Moore, who was one of the subs yesterday, uh, and a couple of other. Gardner, I think, was playing in the game. Mm. Now, the best player on the field, and you've just said it, uh, you're not sure about his height and he might be too small. The best player on the field was Nathan Dyer. But because Agbonalhor ran in behind and scored two goals and he was bigger and faster than everybody else, and because Theo Walcott did exactly the same for Southampton and scored a couple of goals, all the scouts go away from that game saying Walcott and Agbonalhor, they're the players. The best two players on the park were Lalana and Nathan Dyer, who were technically much, much better. And that showed again yesterday. Nathan Dyer, Scott Sinclair were technically much uh, superior to Theo Walcott. Let me ask you this flat out. You're Wenger right now. Mm. Would you swap Walcott for Dyer straight up? Uh, if, if it was Arsene... I know Arsene Wenger wouldn't. No, I, no. I, but I if would. you were. I would, yeah. Really? Yes. It strikes me there's a bunch of things to criticize on Arsenal. Um, Paddy Wenger accusing Nathan Dyer of diving mm. uh, and conning the referee. Is mm. Dyer a big fat cheat? <laughs> no, I mean... It, you, or is he, is he a little quick cheat? It, was a, it was a little bit... It, it, I don't think it was... It was just instinct. That was nothing mm. worth dwelling on. Also, 
I mean, Wenger's, uh, I'd, I'd yield to no one in my love and admiration for Arsene Wenger and what he's brought to our game. Um, I think he's, he's a terrific bloke and he's, you know, he's produced so much that's wonderful uh, about our football. But he's talking a load of rubbish at the moment on a, on a habitual basis. Uh, I do. Uh, uh, but but the, when he talks about scrapping the January transfer window, I, I do say here, here, I would, I wish we would drop the January transfer window um, but uh, when he talked about the f- television schedules being loaded against Arsenal he sounded like Ferguson well, on a bad day well unfortunately the Arsenal fans many of them are seeing this now they are saying after games mm. we don't want to hear all about the transfer window we don't want to hear about the, the match code. we want to hear what's going wrong with your team not whether you know the, the things that Arsene Wenger keeps talking about at the moment he, He's, he's papering over the cracks at the moment. I think I think it's quite funny. He says a lot of a lot of managers would would agree about the transfer window, but they would probably say it's because you know they don't want to lose their their good players, their best players, the pressure it puts on certain clubs. I think Arsene Wenger wants to scrap it so he doesn't get asked any more questions about why he's not <laughs> spending any money. Well, hey, one question, and, and I'd want to ask, and I appreciate that they have they have absences and, and injuries and, and, and whatever else, but. When you have a situation, football have a situation where they have a veteran player in Andrea Chauvin who makes a lot of money, and you know, um, you guys were criticizing Walcott, which you know, fair enough. I'm sure Chauvin appreciates that because we're talking about him and not. Yeah. But Chauvin <laughs> makes more money than Walcott. Uh, now, his contract expires in in June. Um, he's obviously not part of Arsenal's long term future. Um, I, I just find it interesting that Wenger plays him in this game is it a question of, of desperation does he think Arshavin can still help that Arshavin still has some kind of pride well, because what I would do is, is just tell the guy like you know here's the rest of your contract just give the rest of the money go away everybody will take you great we save some money but we're not going to extend you you're not part of the future you know, move on. I don't think Arsene, or is that mean to a player of football? Yeah, I don't think Arsene Wenger will ever do that. He he hopes the player goes on his own accord. That's what players have done before, Vieira and. But if and you keep on. playing him, he might not go of his own accord. Uh, uh, he's he's not happy. Arshavin's not happy. There's no question about that. You know, he, he's not getting enough game time. But Arsene Wenger will defend him and say that the stats say that he's still creating a lot of opportunity for other players. So if that's the case. Why not give him a new contract if you really believe uh, that? Well, that's he right, but believe he doesn't that. believe that because he would have played. Jovino's ahead of him. Uh, Walcott's ahead of him. Um, but he's he's still puts him in place of Rosicki because Rosicki hasn't got the pace to go down the outside anymore um, it, at some point uh, he's going to have to find somebody to replace him enough Arsenal let's move to the great northeast yay yay I, this is getting kind of ridiculous I, I know like sometimes you, you need to take a step back but Newcastle are back in the top six again largely because Liverpool can't beat anybody at home um this isn't supposed to happen. Demba Bai's gone. Um, Czech Teote wasn't wasn't there. Uh, I know, right? It's only a win over QPR, but I mean, Leon Best, Kabai has to come off. You know, Danny Guthrie, the former Bolton um, Axeman. I, this guy Williamson at the back. I something's happening here, George, and. Is, is, is it time to anoint Pardew as a genius? Is this the luckiest team in the world? Is it, is it God saying, you know, I actually feel sorry for Mike Ashley for all the abuse he's taken and for, for renaming the stadium, the JJ, JJB um, Sports Arena. Um, what is it? 
Well, good question. You know, very good question. I mean, I, the one thing I would say is that if you look at the sort of narrative of Newcastle over the last year or so, compensating for players who leave or who are missing is something that they've done very well. Andy Carroll leaves a year ago. That caused a huge controversy. Um, and the sort of the bit part players stood up and made a difference. You know, talking about Leon Best yesterday scoring a goal, but he scored three in five games this time last year. They lose, you know, really big players in terms of um, importance in the dressing room over the summer. Joey Barton, Kevin Nolan, Jose Enrique, and yet a new team kind of comes forward and and steps into place there. And yeah, they've done the same. This time, Tiote, um, Tiote and Barbie are missing for the last two games. They've won the last two games against QPR and against Blackburn in the Cup, and the whole thing kind of motors on, which is really impressive. You know, yesterday's yesterday's game was not great by any stretch of the imagination, but they they kind of grind find a way to grind out a result. And when you think that you're talking about Newcastle in that in that sense, it's pretty it's pretty remarkable. And certainly. Um, yes, Alan Pardew. It is time that he got he got huge credit um, because he's not only shown that um, he's got the sort of the, the character to sort of deal with what has always been a, a fairly testing managerial position. He's also you know he also knows how to set up a team. He was kind of relentless yesterday in the way that he he kept shifting the midfield. Uh, to compensate for Kabai's loss, but he did it, you know, did it really, really well. And um, you know, another three points and up to six, equal with Arsenal on points after after 21 games is um, is astonishing, really. Stuart, this flies in the face of logic. When they had a lot of good players mm. and very good, very highly paid managers, uh, Newcastle were kind of hit or miss. Mm. Now they have. I don't want to say he's a bad manager, but he's. You know, he's Alan Pardew. He's not getting paid the the, the bazillions. Um, he he wasn't. He replaced a popular guy who was also yeah. underpaid. He, I mean, what, what's the explanation here? Well, I, I George said something, uh, and I, I don't think he meant it in the way that it, 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 he, he, I'm going to say it. They got rid of some big characters in the dressing room. I think George was saying that was a problem for Newcastle. I think it's the best thing that happens in Newcastle because big characters in the dressing room, if they're bad characters and they want too much say in the dressing room, that's disruptive okay, for the name club. Names, name oh, names. Well, obviously, Barton. I'm not sure about Enrique. Uh, Nolan and Carroll. They were a disruptive influence on Newcastle. They wanted to run the football club. They wanted to have their say when it, whenever they wanted it, wanted it. And they, there wasn't unity at the club. Now they've got a lot of players that want to do well. They're all working together. The manager's got control of the players. They're playing with good discipline. They're playing with organisation. They can change their game at times. We saw them play against Manchester United where they went route one. They won balls in the air. They can do that against QPR yesterday because they've got Leon Bess and Amiobi up front who are big players in the air. And that's what Alan Pardew's done. He's, he plays the right game plan at the moment for depending on what opposition he's playing against and also the players he's got available to him George you, you buying that with Barton and Nolan that disruptive and unpleasant I mean I can imagine Barton but I mean I don't know you're, yeah you're I mean I think, I think you know you, you have to you have to go back and look what happened when they were relegated and without sort of going into sort of ancient ancient history what happened at that time was exactly what Newcastle needed there was no leadership at the top of the club Ashley was trying to sell um, there was you know there was no permanent manager and Hewton and that sort of that big senior group of players really took took charge and took control and took took control of their own dest destiny and 
you know, it, that was a very, very important moment for Newcastle, and you can certainly argue that they wouldn't be in the position that they are now without that happening. Um, yes, there were there were huge divisions between the dressing room and the boardroom, and um, you know, kind of certainly my instinct was to was to sort of be supportive of the, of the players in that dispute, but um, there was also no doubt that it that it stopped the club progressing. Um, you know, as a, as a sort of top club has to, it just you know it felt unsustainable, and you know I, I was certainly concerned when those when those big characters left because I worried that the that the players that came in wouldn't necessarily have the same affiliation, the same association with the club, but whether through whether through luck or or, or um, you know sort of great timing, there's no doubt that Newcastle start the season so well that's that momentum has allowed them to sort of. To, to kick on and that sort of spirit has been preserved in a way that's also allowed um, the group to be kind of more you know more manageable so I, can, I, I certainly understand what Stuart's saying and I kind of agree with it um, you know th- those players were uh, have been absolutely pivotal and fundamental in Newcastle getting back to the Premier League and then stabilising last year and you know it shouldn't be underplayed their importance to that to that to that story but I think it's it's also fair to say that they've that they've now moved beyond that um, you know, just about QPR, I mean, we, we touched upon um, the new manager, Sparky Hughes, last week. Um, he's come out and he says that he wants to win the title and he's ambitious. And I'm just wondering, obviously, it's what an owner, I guess, wants to hear. Is that is that a clever thing to do? I mean, he didn't say well, when he wants what, to win what, the title. What I'd or, hope or with what club? Yeah, <laughs> I hope he'd like to say. I hope, you know, like, because too many managers, so they... they keep reading Mark Hughes say I want the club to match my ambition so what he's saying is they've got to spend loads of money you know I'd like to see Mark Hughes first of all get it right on the coaching field mm. and do more coaching say right now I've got the, the balance of the team now I've improved the team by you know 50% we're now halfway up the top now maybe back me and we'll buy one or two players to, to enhance that but I think Mark Hughes wherever he's been has always wanted more money and he's a much better manager actually when he's when he's up against the wall and his mm. teams are playing with grit and determination because when he was at Man City his team were dull they couldn't I mean Mancini has proved that you can still play with, with or still make Man City with the players that they've got a, a determined rugged team and also good on the ball Mark Hughes wasn't able to do that it is true that he did better at Fulham when he wasn't spending a lot of money um, but Paddy I do see because obviously let's face it I mean you know when you get Mark Hughes you, you, you get a team you also get Mark Bowen who mm. yeah. is highly respected um, from, from what I've heard and you Eddie, also uh, Nitvitsky, yeah. Okay, yeah. he's got a high reputation. Eddie Nettie, yeah, but you also get Kia. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, I mean, does it make sense to Kia Jurabjian, the agent? No, he's not an agent. He's an advisor. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some well less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs. United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. He's most definitely not an agent. He is an advisor. Let's get that straight. Good. Thank you. Um, so once you get, so you basically get a team. I mean, I was just wondering, does it make sense to, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute here, but rather than bringing in a manager, who, who coaches and whatever and really doesn't know anybody in terms of agents or maybe knows like the one agent who steers all the stuff through him and whatever. Does it make sense to think in terms of partnerships so where I get Hughes and I get the guy who makes yeah. who can make Hughes' deal mm. deals happen? Whatever else you think of, of Kia, um, he knows everybody and he can make deals. Look, it's a scandal. It should not be allowed. It's happening at Blackburn, uh, but it's actually successful at Blackburn. I mean, Blackburn have actually bought rather well over the last 12 months. Um, And uh, the manager is performing very, very well. But by and large, as a way of running football, it is absolutely scandalous. You don't think managers should have agents, do you? I think or agents should be allowed I'd, to represent both managers and players. Correct. This mm. is, this is Which Kia doesn't do, by the way, because he's an I, advisor. I, I, he's I, not I, an agent. I, I think that if Mark Hugh is hiring Kia Jurabshin or anybody else to advise, to, to advise them on their career and anything else is absolutely fine. But the there should be no link, formal or otherwise, between an agent for players and an agent for recruitment because that clearly although uh, Keir Jurabjan you know I'd, I'd make absolutely no claim against him um, he seems a very nice chap I met him and uh, but the the potential for other less scrupulous people uh, to create basically mini cartels at their clubs so that the clubs instead of recruiting what they need recruit what the agent Ooh, wants to get rid of that's the that problem at every football the club danger these days. In, in all over the world, and it's a scandal all over there the world. There used to be a system where you had a, a scouting system, yes. and you said, This is, a, this is our, uh, the way we want to play, this is our philosophy, this is our vision, we want somebody in that position that can do this. Our scouts will go around the world, now we'll, we'll, we'll get a, a whole load of players. Which one can we go and buy? Now we cheap, this is, pass it over to the chief executive. This is our number one target. This is our number two target. This is our number three target. Go now, can you, can you go and get those for us? But now it's the agent coming to the manager and saying, this player's available, this player's available. Or you go to the chief executive, they do the deal, and suddenly the manager's got a player he doesn't want. Mm. And uh, there's always a conflict of interest. It's quite simple that, that it should be against the laws of football and it should be fundamentally policed that no agent can be involved. It's very, very simple. No agent should be involved on behalf of a club in a transfer anywhere in the world to any degree. It is as simple as that. Unless, it, unless that agent doesn't represent players and is purely a middleman. 
but in that case, there's no need for him. Of the, course the, there the, is. No, no, the choice, no, no, there isn't. This is exactly how it... No, the it choice of, of, of whom to uh, recruit should be up to the manager and the manager alone. Yeah, the manager is the manager's first job in modern football. The manager's first job is truly is to work with the players. You can't expect a manager to go and to know and to be able to run the scouts and have a sense of what's going on all over the world and have the relationships to get the deals no. done at the right price. No, no, but the, the players can... And, and it should be the, the healthy thing is for each agent to approach the manager or the chief executive and to say, look, we have this selection of players. Here are videos of them which don't include them tripping over the ball. Don't you, would you like to buy them? They cost £20,000 a week. Now, he then looks at those, goes to travel to watch those players play for Rennes or Sochaux or whoever it might be. He takes a look at them and says, no, thank you. And all he's lost is two easy jet flights to France. <laughs> if... If he if he buys those players simply because the club has a has a deal with them, gives them five year contract, that is not in the interest of the club. They've lost a lot more than two easy jet flights. The, and and the point is that this, I mean, I this was how it used to be. It used to be a, you, a player could have an agent. Absolutely no problem with that. That's always been the case. But an agent was not allowed to work for a club. The law, the regulations were changed and it was a catastrophe. Most of us at the time brought it in and thought, that's fine, that's great. It's, it just legitimizes what probably goes on anyway. But it has been an absolute catastrophe. And in the Premier League alone, it costs £75 million a year just to give money to unworthy, largely unworthy intermediaries. And it, I've worded out that, this, that each person who goes through a Premier League turnstile is paying an extra four to five pounds to pay for this unnecessary intermediary activity. Actually, this, this, is, this merits a whole other debate, um, which... I'll tell you the reason for it, because agents claim, and, I've, and claim to the FA, and I had this from the FA, that agents say that if we're only allowed to represent players, we won't get any money because they don't pay us, it, it, that, that, whereas the clubs do. <laughs> As you probably heard, it's, uh, it's, it's a, I think it's a sad day uh, for us at the Times, and especially here at the, uh, at the game podcast. Uh, Patty is, uh, is leaving us after, um, I think, what, just over three years yep. at, uh, uh, on, at the sports desk. Um, you know, I'm not going to make this a, a soppy tribute or anything, but obviously... Patty uh, has been around. It's been uh, an inspiration um, for me personally, and I think for for, for many of us. Um, so, I wish I could give you a big sending off. All I can do is I let you choose this week's debate topic, Patty. Yeah, because I know that what you like to do is to talk about football. The, those were super words, Gab, and I really do appreciate it. And working with people of the caliber of yourself and Mr. Robson, not to mention uh, George. Um, and all the other writers it has been a pleasure and I shall certainly miss the game podcast very much indeed now uh, empowered uh, by you Gab I'm, I will uh, start a debate on goal line technology now on the face of it it's like motherhood and apple pie everybody except Seth Blatter and Michel Platini want it what can be wrong with technology that uh, says uh, whether or not the ball has crossed the line. Personally, I believe, um, as a, and I'm a 
convert uh, away from being like everybody else, uh, an advocate of goal line technology. I'm profoundly against it, and I think it's the biggest threat to the character of football that I've ever come across in many more years than I'd care to remember as an observer of football. Are you talking specifically of goal line? Goal line, video technology, goal line technology. Goal line technology, video? which tells us if the ball has crossed, the, uh, has crossed the goal line. Yes. Uh, and the, the reason for this, I, I, I am, however, a passionate advocate of video assistance for referees, uh, which was last heard of uh, uh, being the, the the medium through which the referee realized that Zinedine Zidane had butted Marco Materazzi and therefore had to be shown the red card. Uh, it was uh, a couple of years after that that video assistance for referees even latent became was banned. It was at the Confederations Cup in 2009. A decision took place. It was changed on the basis of the fourth official's advice to an English referee, Howard Webb. And when Blatter got to hear about it, he said, right, no more tellies anywhere near fourth officials. That's it. He, in other words, he had the choice of two directions in which to go, and he went in the wrong one. We now have the possibility that at the international board meeting in March, um, that if one of these, I think, seven companies bidding for the contract for this goal line technology can prove that this stuff works, um, it will be licensed, and it could even be, it, it could even be taking place in on Premier League grounds next season. The problem with it is that it solves the least prevalent problem in the game, which is the, the issue of whether or not the goal has crossed the line. We can all remember the times when it happened, uh, Andy, um, Roy Carroll and Pedro Mendes, uh, the, uh, Frank Lampard against Germany in the 2010 World Cup, and uh, most people also go back to the 1966 World Cup final. However, other cases in those 40-odd years are hard to find. Absolutely the, agree with you, Patty. There probably isn't even one every two seasons. I think there was one at, at, at Watford. All of them, moreover, except the Jeff Hurst one, could be solved in the blink of an eye by a telly in front of the fourth official, because otherwise how would we know that they were wrong, blatantly wrong? So why do we need bleeping devices which solve this one almost unheard of problem but do nothing to solve the equally serious ones. And I'll give you the example. On the same day as the um, Frank Lampard incident in Bloemfontein, in another part of South Africa, during the Mexico-Argentina game, an equally blatant miscarriage of justice took place in terms of an offside decision. And, uh, and of course... The bleeping device, which would be much more expensive than giving every official a telly, um, would not have solved that. We would then have had an equal injustice in the sense that England would have got justice vis-a-vis -vis Germany, but Mexico would not against Argentina or the other way around, I can't remember. So, in other words, we're getting an expensive thing. You keep saying it's expensive. Do you it's know very it's expensive? expensive, yes. £200,000 a go, and there are 20 clubs. £200,000 a game. Uh, for the installation, and no doubt there will be uh, maintenance cost. At the, it's one of those things that seems like a 
good idea. In actual fact, it's a disastrous idea because it will increase the perception of injustice. George, I'm sitting here with two shaven-headed Luddites. You've got a healthy head of hair like most honest men. Um, uh, can you tell me why they're wrong, please? Um, no. Oh, come no. on. What kind of a debate is it? Well, You're against goal line technology as well. well I'm the only three people on earth. I'm, I'm, I'm against everything. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's my that's my default that's my sort of default position. And well, I haven't I certainly haven't joined the kind of clamor for video for video, video technology. And I certainly agree. Um, I mean, I'm, I, I was actually thinking I was going to be on I was going to be the, kind of the only person sort of saying this. I mean, I I, I think I'm probably on the wrong side of the argument, but. but you know, and, and would grudgingly accept it that if it if it if it's introduced and it becomes a success, we'll then say okay, fair enough. But I I kind of have a natural um, lack of trust for for kind of any new rule that comes into football, basically, because I, I worry that that you know we, the further we go down the line, the the, the more the game is tampered with, uh, the further it goes away from the sort of you know the admittedly. Uh, you know, brash, um, quick, speedy, heart in the mouth, sort of seat of the pants, sort of game that that we grew up with and and love, and it becomes yet more sort of sanitised, and um, delay becomes sort of part of of the whole process. Um, you know, and I, I kind of agree with I, I agree with Paddy. I think that sort of the, the the one when you introduce it in in some format, it's then going to highlight. Uh, the other areas where it's not, where it's not, right, and and then we're constantly re-refereeing, re-refereeing the game as it goes along. All I'm suggesting, as a profound traditionalist myself, as I think all football lovers are, is that we restore the balance between referee and spectator. No, no more than that. I want to go back to the balance that existed before the invention of television. And that's why commentators and co-commentators have to give their view on the first thing they see. Exactly. Um, not sort of say, let me just have a look at that on three angles and three... Re- oh, yeah, he dived. You, as a, as a co-commentator, you see it happen, and I, I say, if I was the referee, I'd have given a penalty. Then when so, you yes. see the replay the f- come back, you say, mm, maybe he didn't touch under, him that under much. Under but my you proposal, have to give the referee the credit. The fourth official must make his decision solely on what the viewer sees. So in other, solely, in other, words, in other words, there's no special yeah. assistance, there's no stop in play, there is no uh, appeal, this idea of give the managers two appeals right. each per half, we'd immediately hear, oh, we'd use the two up when the really big decision came along. You know, none of this nonsense. It would be only referees and their peers, because all fourth officials are on the same level of expertise as referees. It would be, on- in other words, the okay. sanctity of the referee's decision making would be maintained. It's just that he'd have the same advantages as the spectator. I think you make a very compelling argument. And what, what, what your argument basically does is it says reality isn't what happens on the pitch. Reality is what, what is, the is, is, is what's experienced by yes. what's experienced by yes. the viewer. I don't think your system would right too many wrongs because you do need, you, you know, you do need different camera no, angles it, and, and it things like that, and it removes the discretion. It but would, it, it, it would right, it, it, it would right only the Pedro Mendes wrongs, the right. Frank Lampard wrongs, the blatant wrongs. It, 
it does level. It does. It does. You're right. It does. It does level. Um, it does level the playing field. You will still get arguments. I mean, I think we'd have to come around to accept that there will still be plenty of yeah. mistakes but and, 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 and controversies. Let me give you a good example, if I may, about why the game won't be slowed, because I totally understand George's concerns. I'm, I'm, we're all the same. Any, any football lover would feel the way George did um, explain. The, was it about a year ago, Manchester United were playing at Wigan. And Rooney, challenged by James McCarthy, elbowed McCarthy. The referee, who I think was Clattenburg, and the linesman hadn't really seen. Mm. So the referee does the usual thing, backs over towards the linesman and says, what the hell went on there? And the linesman says, I don't know. And they say, how do we get out of this? And they concoct a, Mm. a consensus about what probably happened and give a yellow when a red was due. The TV, there would have been no need for that because the fourth of it, instead of the linesman saying, I don't know, mate, and the referee saying, well, come on, make us guess, uh, they, the fourth official would simply say, Rooney, elbow, red card. Mm. And, and that would actually have solved, and you would then not have the 60 second rigmarole of the two having a conversation about what may or may not have happened. And you would then have a 15 second uh, delay before the uh, referee gives the right decision, which is red card. Well, what I find interesting about uh, about Patty's proposal is that it completely um, redefines redefines the game, redefines the reality of football um, based on what we experience via television, which I think would upset some purists. Um, we can always throw up um, counter arguments to this, uh, such as the fact that you know not every game gets the same amount of television coverage uh, in terms of cameras there and angles and possibilities, and and if you do. Give it, give the same coverage to everybody. Then you do raise the costs and things like offsides. You know, doesn't mean then then players know there might be a replay, so they might just not play to the whistle and keep running and whatever. But uh, I I do think it's a good thing that we are talking about this, and uh, you know maybe we do need some some lateral thinking. All right, time now for some quick hits. Manchester United rolled to a 3-0 win over Bolton uh, with Paul Scholes starting and scoring. Paddy, do you really think he's going to be enough for the club to enjoy their 20th title come May? Uh, no. Well, I, I think Manchester City are going to win the title anyway. I'm still uh, clinging to that belief. But, uh, no, I think if United do it, they'll do it with the youngsters. I think that Welbeck who admittedly has a contract dispute and cleverly, when cleverly, who's a superb player, comes back into the midfield, I think that's going to make more of a difference than Paul Scholes. On a more somber note, Dean Windass has revealed that uh, he is one of those ex-footballers suffering from depression and, in fact, has twice attempted suicide. Um, George, is it simply a case of footballers being people like us and therefore suffering like the rest of the population? Or is there something, in your opinion, having been around players, uh, is there something endemic to the game which perhaps makes them more vulnerable? I, th- I think it's both. I think it's absolutely both. I, I knew Dean when he was at, at Middlesbrough, and you know he was the kind of person who who absolutely lived lived for football. Who um, uh, you know everything was based around the game, and that included the socialising afterwards. Uh, there's no doubt that in football, as in every other walk of life, there are people vulnerable to you know to, to, to depression. But the one thing that has to be looked at is that football is still not good enough at preparing players for the end of their careers, um, and it's it's 
something that does need to be tackled. Footballers, particularly at the highest level, get everything put on a plate for them. I mean, they, they, they really, really do. And I just don't think that there's a coping mechanism. They're not, they're not kind of adults in, 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 in many ways when, when their careers come to an end. And it's something that has to be, has to be looked at. In fact, that matches my experience with, uh, with footballers to a T. Spurs have nothing at all go their way against Wolves and are held to a draw. Uh, Stuart, we're told good fortune evens itself out over the course of a season, and there may have been situations when Spurs have been lucky to win earlier this year. But the fact remains, they sort of got screwed this past weekend. Uh, um, any sympathy? No sympathy. I think it, it will. It Coming will, from an Arsenal man, what do you expect? <laughs> it will even itself out. But I still would say that Tottenham are playing the best football in the league at the moment. Their their movement, their passing is brilliant. They're getting the balance right between defensive play and attacking play, just the same as Man City are. That's why Man City are the best team up until the last couple of weeks. And that's why Tottenham are the second best team in the league at the moment, because they get the balance right between the defensive play and the attacking play. And they're a joy to watch. There you go, Stuart. All happiness and light this week. Right, Gab, one for you. The Milan derby was on Sunday night. Did Claudio Ranieri manage to reopen the hunt for the Serie A title? Uh, indeed, he did. Uh, Claudio Ranieri actually a surprisingly good record in derbies in Italy. It's something like uh, uh, Italy and Spain. Nine wins, one draw, no defeats, including wins over, over Real Madrid when he was at uh, Atletico. Um, he went out there, uh, very tactical game, conceded uh, possession to, to AC Milan, who surprisingly started Pato up front alongside Ibrahimovic. Milito nicked the goal. And uh, I think now it's, um, it's very much game on, very tight at the top. You could see arguably as many as five clubs um, still very much in the, in, in the title hunt, uh, at least on paper. And what an incredible turnaround. Uh, in late September, this team was in the relegation zone. That's all we've got time for this week. Remember, you can always go to www.thetimes.co.uk. You'll find your news, your gossip, uh, your analysis, our web chats. Um, Patty, sadly, will no longer be doing one for The Times, but um, I will on Tuesdays. And you can experience the joys of Matt Hughes on a Monday and, uh, and Ollie Kay later in the week as well. A um, bunch of us are on Twitter. Always a good way to, to hit us up and, and, and say hello or, or tell us we're wrong uh, when you fancy that. That's all we got time for, and I'm prattling on because, um, as I mentioned before, and I won't get emotional because I'm a, I'm a large man with tattoos, but uh, um, it is sad that after uh, three years working with uh, what, for, for my generation, was, uh, was, I think, a real role model, um, Patty's moving on. But uh, I am happy to say Patty's not retiring, and uh, I will continue uh, to, uh, to follow him with interest. Till next week, bye-bye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.